right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to continue our series that we started last week on genuine Christianity. And we said that genuineness is authenticity. It's being real. And if there's anything that people love, it's authenticity. If there's anything that attracts us to other people that are close to us, it is being real. We love having authenticity uh, in lives of others. And let me just say, others love to see a life of authenticity in you. And as Christians, it's no different. As Christians, people want to see in us something that is real, a faith that is real. They don't want to see something that is just uh, talked about. They want to see something that is lived out. And the book of James is all about how we live out our faith. How do we uh, live a life that is genuine and authentic? And so last week we started on the qualities of authenticity. And we looked at James, who he was. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He was the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And so we got to know him a little bit. We, we got to uh, learn from verse number one what made him a man that was genuine, a man that was authentic and real, and, and why he was so loved by the people of his church and why he was really so loved in the Christian community. We learned how we also need to have those qualities in our life if we're going to live a life that is genuine, a life of Christianity that is real. Well, this morning we want to look now at the next few verses from verse number two all the way down to verse number eight, and we we want to learn about uh, really real faith that endures testing. All right, real faith that endures testing. Now, I want you to notice in verse number two, as it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let's go ahead and pray and ask God to... Uh, enlighten us, illuminate us by his spirit as we study his word this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Thank you for this book, the book of James here that really describes and guides us to living a life that is genuine. I pray that this morning as we study your word that first of all we would be sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit that we would receive that which you have placed in your word for us today. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit as I communicate the truth of your word. May I do it with clarity. Father, help me to communicate it in a way that would not only be clear, but in a way that would allow your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and in our minds. Father, we have come to this place to hear from you. There's nothing good that I have to say of myself, but Father, the truth of your word is worth listening to. It's the truth of your word that is life-changing, and I pray that this morning, 
that truth would change our life today. So help us to be attentive. Help us to be receptive, I ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, genuine Christianity will always have a genuine faith. Now, faith has been defined as believing what God has said and being assured of it. Right? Believing what God has said and being assured of what he has said. That's really a simple definition, if you will, about what faith really is. And the first area that James focuses on here in this passage is the area of faith during trials. The, the, the area of faith in a person's life when trials come. Now, another word, the word here that is in the King James Version is uh, uh, when you come into diverse temptations. But uh, you can uh, translate that word as trials or testings. Okay, And so James is talking to an audience that is going through testing in their life. The reason that they've been scattered abroad is because they're going through some difficulties in the city of Jerusalem. They're, they're, they're having uh, some really tough circumstances in their life. And there's some uh, truth that we need to understand when it comes to testings in our life. When it comes to trials in our life, there's some truths that we need to understand. Number one, and you'll have this in your notes. Number one, trials come to everyone. You and I need to understand this. When life begins to get difficult for you, just understand that trials come to everyone in life. It really doesn't matter what uh, race you are. It doesn't matter what your income is. It doesn't really matter what your experience or success has been. Trials come into everyone's life. Number two, trials always are in a variety pack. In other words, uh, the trial that I may experience in my life may not be the same exact trial that you're experiencing in your life. The difficulties that you're facing aren't always the same exact difficulties that I am facing, and, and yet we're both going through trials. Yet we're both having difficulties in life. It may not be the same exact, but they're trials nonetheless. And so we need to remember that trials always are in a variety of pack in life. Number three, trials are never fun. Now, on a nice warm day uh, and, a, and a hot day, you might wake up and, and, and begin to think in your life at that day, it would be awesome to be at South Padre Island today. And you might tell uh, your wife or your husband, hey, let's, let's go to the island today. Let's just go and enjoy the day. It's really hot. It's the perfect day to go to the beach. And maybe we'll take a kite and it's nice and windy too. And, 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 and we can just really enjoy the day. Uh, you, you wake up on a hot day and that sounds great. You might wake up on a cold day like, like today. I mean, relatively cold, right? And, and you might feel like, I, I want a cup of hot chocolate or I want a nice hot cup of coffee and, and you might go to Starbucks or something because it's a little bit cooler and, and buy one of those and, and you wake up wanting that and desiring that. But there's really never been a day where you can wake up and say, you know what, I think today's a perfect day for a trial. I really want to be tested in my faith. I really want to face the most difficult circumstance I can today. I want work to be terrible. I want my marriage. I want, listen, I just want the biggest fight with my wife today because I just really want a testing in my marriage. Nobody has that desire. You know why? Because trials are never fun. 
They're never fun. So there's three just commonalities that we all can, can I think, agree on. Number one, trials come to everyone's life. Number two, trials, they're a variety pack, okay? Not the same that you and I will have. Number three, they are never fun. But knowing all of that, I want to say this statement one more time. Genuine Christianity will always have genuine faith. Even in times of trials, genuine Christianity will always have genuine faith. Genuine faith will always be proven through those trials. Genuine Christianity has a real faith. That real faith is always proven through trials. It's not proven through the nice sunny days at South Padre Island. That's not where faith is proven. Testing doesn't come on those days. Testing comes on the days uh, when you're getting laid off at work. That's a test. When your son is told that he's got a sickness and you've got to take him to the hospital there, that's a testing day. That's where faith, I mean real faith, is proven. That's when it's really tested. It cannot be proven by just talking about faith. It can't just be proven by looking like something of faith. It's only proven by the experiences of trials in our lives. In fact, it's kind of like, it's kind of like this, uh, this jersey I bought. I probably bought it, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. Y'all, y'all probably remember, many of you would, uh, the Killer Bees, the Rio Grande Valley Killer Bees. They were our, our minor league hockey team. And uh, we went to a game with the teens, and uh, they had these at the table, and, and, uh, and I went ahead and bought one. And they said this, this was a, a game jersey, like, uh, not that it was game-worn, but it was what they would use on a game. And I could sit up here, and I could probably tell you about this material. It's a, it's a really, it's a pretty strong material. I mean, to, to rip, it's not really easy. I can, I can tell you that um, it's pretty big uh, because... Uh, hockey players usually have pads, and I can tell you how, uh, how comfortable something this size would be for a player that was maybe my size, how they could put their pads on, and then they could put this on, and how, uh, how, how it would work for them. I, I could tell you how, uh, how that when you're on the ice and you're skating, and uh, you're trying to get the, the puck all the way to the goal, and there's defenders there, and they're trying to get in your way, and they're trying to grab you. I can tell you how... Uh, how well that this shirt wearing this jersey would, would help with that because there's a lot of grabbing in that game. There's a lot of people that are going to try and knock you off your skates. And, and I could talk a lot about this jersey, not just the material, but all that it is. But it's one thing to talk about an authentic jersey. It's a whole different thing to put on this jersey put some hockey pads on, get on an ice, and play with it. Totally different. I can tell you, oh man, when, when they're grabbing, this jersey is going to, it's going to, it's going to hold up. But I'm just telling you, I've never experienced that. I mean, we've had ice hockey uh, events here at church. Y'all see me skate. There's no way. Anybody just, I mean, you don't even have to tug on the shirt. You can just blow on me and I'm going to fall, right? I mean, but the hockey player 
that wears this jersey, he goes out there and he can prove, by being on that ice, he can prove how good this jersey is. He can prove why this jersey is not like a $10 jersey. He can prove why people are going to spend more money on a jersey like this than on a cotton t-shirt to wear. It's the difference. Do you know when it comes to a genuine Christian life, the, the testings of life prove how genuine your faith is. I can sit here and talk about faith all day. I can sit here and tell you what the Bible says about faith, but none of that matters until we're in the, the middle of a testing of it. There needs to be a proving of that faith. And Pastor James here is writing to people that are going through difficulties and tough circumstances. And he's sharing with them the fact that those testings are good for them, good for their faith, because it proves their faith. So this morning, I want to talk about two genuine truths you and I need to understand, believe, apply in our lives when facing trials that this passage talks about. I think it's very important because James is saying, listen, you guys are going through some trials. Here's what you do about that. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where either God is real in your life or he's just someone that sounds nice. Either this book is totally true or it's just something that we do on Sunday morning and read and have a liturgical study routine and things like that. It's, it's, it's the difference. So what did, what did James say? Well, the first truth that he shares with them is a right perspective during trials. See, in verse number two, he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Let me ask you something. What is your attitude when facing a trial? When there's a testing in your life, what is usually your attitude? Because trials are not fun. And by the way, it sounds like a little bit of a contradiction here with Pastor James, right? We all know trials are not fun, and yet he's saying, hey, count it joy. Count it joy. I think my, my first question to, to Pastor James was, uh, would be, uh, are you in denial or something? I mean, these are people that are facing a lot of different kind of trials. Some of them are getting first, uh, physically persecuted. Some of them by a guy named Saul, who's throwing them in jail and is, is persecuting them for their faith physically. I mean, Stephen... There's already been one guy that got stoned to death for his faith. So people are dying, literally dying. And James is saying, count it all joy. Other people are literally being ostracized from their family. They're being cut off. Because they have stopped believing the Judaizers and Judaism and they've turned to Christianity and their faith in Jesus Christ and they believe that he is the Messiah, that he came to die for our sins and rose on the third day. They put their faith in Jesus. They're following Jesus. And just because of that, they've been cut off from their family. 
Now their dad and their mom won't talk to them. Their brothers hate them. By the way, Jesus said that would happen. He said some of you will have division in your life, even in your families. And yet, James is saying, count it all joy. How is he saying that? What, what is he talking about? He's talking about the perspective during trials. He's talking about your perspective. He's not in denial as to how difficult trials are. He knows what those are. As a pastor, he's, he's probably cried with some of the people in his church about what's happening. He's prayed with them. He's tried to encourage them. He knows the reality of it. But he's looking at it and he's saying, count it joy because you need to have a right perspective when going through this. Here's, here's perspective number one. Trials are for my endurance. Here's that first perspective. When he's talking about having joy in these trials, he says this in verse 3. Know this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The word patience there is meaning enduring. Having endurance. A better analogy might be for those that play sports. When you, when you practice, you have to work up an endurance. You have to be in shape. Right? Uh, when you're in basketball, they make you run these things called liners, right? And you've got to run from the baseline to the free throw line and back, and then to half court and back to the baseline, then three quarters of the court, and then back to the baseline, then the full court and back. And you do that over and over and over in practice. And what the coach is trying to do is build up some endurance because it's a long game. The game's not just five minutes. The game is six minutes a quarter or eight minutes a quarter or 10 minutes a, a, a half or, or sometimes 12 minutes a quarter when you talk about the NBA. And you have to have endurance. So he, he begins to test you, make you run and run and run. And he says, hey, you need to push it. I, I was uh, coaching a couple of weeks ago uh, for my brother John. He was down in Veracruz at a conference, and so he asked me to sub for him in coaching. And so he's coaching a, a middle school uh, basketball team at Macedonian Christian Academy. And, and we started with liners. And about the second set or third set, there was a few of those kids that were kind of running back a little bit slowly. So I had to get onto them and say, hey, come on, let's go. Let's run, let's run, run, push, push. And they were already, you know, grabbing their side. Ah. And if anybody, if, you, if you've ever run at full speed, you know, you, you, when it starts hurting on your side, you, you need some water, you need a, you need a rest. And, and I'm sitting there, to just push, man, push through the pain. You just, just give it all you've got, give it all you've got. And there's one reason a coach would do that. There's only one reason I was telling them to do that. It's because I need their endurance to get stronger. I need them to just take the pain for a little while. It's just, it's just something you need. And James tells the people, when you're going through a trial, understand this trial is to help you get some endurance. It works some endurance in your life. 
You see, anything that is genuine is always lasting. Ladies, I know you found this to be true. Right? You can get the knockoff brand purse, and it won't last you as long. But you get the real thing, and it can last you a lot longer. And the reason is, is because the leather is a little bit better. The stitching is a little bit better. The, the, the genuine article always lasts longer than that which is fake. And here James is saying, listen, the first proving of your faith, the, the testing of your faith is, can you endure it? Can, can, can the pain come and you just endure it? One of the things that us as a younger generation can look back at the World War II generation, we can even look back at our parents' generation, and, and something that we admire is their toughness. And they were tough. I, I don't know how many of you have uh, watched the series uh, Band of Brothers. It, it tells the story of uh, the, the Easy Company, the company there uh, that, uh, that got to Hitler's bunker, and, and uh, it tells the, their story of... of all that happened from D-Day on. And one thing, they, they always have the actual men that were there, that were part of the Easy Company. They, they share a little bit of what their experiences were like and what they were feeling. And man, the thing that always sticks out to me is, that, man, these guys were tough. I mean, I mean, some of them were in snow. I mean, it was literally the coldest that it could be. I mean, it was blizzard-like conditions. And some of them didn't even have boots because they had lost their boots along the way. But they didn't want to come off the line. They didn't want to stop fighting. They said, no, no, we're just going to endure here. And they, they dug a foxhole, and they, they got in that foxhole, and they said, I'm here to defend the line. And they were tough. Their biggest thing was, we just got to get through this. We just got to hold the line. We're, we're going to win. We just got to hold the line here. And James says, listen, when you're going through a trial in your life, just hold the line. It's going to help you to have endurance in your life. Get that perspective. Don't just look at how hard everything is and how, how difficult, how life's not going your way. Listen, James says, don't look at it that way. Look at it this way. Man, God is working on my endurance. I love reading Hebrews chapter 11. It's there in your notes. I won't read it, but from verse 32 to verse 38, the author there talks about people that just endured. People that just said, hey, I'm just going to last through this. Some of them were saved miraculously and others were not. But one thing that they had in common was this. They were just going to endure. James says, listen, you need to endure. Listen, it, it, if you have no endurance in life, it doesn't matter how good you look. It doesn't matter how nice and clean your jersey is. You have no endurance, it means nothing. It doesn't matter how many verses you can quote, unless your faith can last the trial that's in your life, it's not really real faith. It's just religion. Religion doesn't save anybody. Religion never helped anyone get through a trial in life. It never did. Faith does, though. Faith does. It helps you to endure. But here's another perspective. And it's in verse number four, and it's this. The more I endure, 
the stronger I become. He says, but let patience or endurance have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. See, the perspective we are to have during the difficult trials of life is that it is building me and my faith to be stronger. The only way you can get stronger is through that trial. It's through enduring. It's through pushing. That's the only way. You've got to push yourself, push yourself, push yourself. Push that faith in your life. You just got to continue saying, well, listen, I know things aren't going great right now, but God, God's going to do something. I'm just going to continue to be faithful. I'm just going to continue to read my Bible. I'm going to continue to pray. I'm, I'm going to continue to believe that I, though things are going difficult right now, God's going to work it out for good. I just got to believe that. Because the more I endure, the stronger I become. Job said this, Job who lost all of his kids, lost all of his possessions. Then he got sick physically where he was, they, they, they think it might, might have been some kind of leprosy. I mean, he had boils growing on his body. All the friends that he had left him except three of them that said basically he deserved what he was getting. I don't know what kind of friend says that. When you have boils all over your body, I mean, how would you like to be going to the hospital and then I come to the hospital and say, hey, listen, I, I see you're in that bed and man, you're fighting cancer. You deserve that though. You know that, right? You might really deserve a more aggressive cancer, but whatever. That's what Job's friends told him, by the way. You can read the book of Job and, and see how they, they basically said, you deserve what you're getting. And in through all of that, in those trials, you read in Job chapter 17, in verse number 9, he says, The righteous also shall hold on his way. He's going to endure. And he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. That's all Job was saying. Job said, hey, God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, I came into this world naked and with nothing, and I'm going to leave with nothing. But my faith is going to remain. I'm not giving up. His wife, bless her heart, listen, I probably would have said the same thing. His wife came and said, why don't you just curse God and give it up already? Now, you can't blame someone that lost seven kids and lost everything she had and then loses her husband because she can't really stay in the same house with him because he's got boils on his body. You can't blame her for, for thinking that way. But you know what he said? He said, sweetheart, you're not, you got the wrong perspective. Wrong perspective. Yeah, this is difficulty. But listen, we just got to endure. Because the more we endure, the stronger we get. The trial actually puts you and I in a position of having to believe and be assured of what God said. That's what a trial will do. It makes you rely not on yourself and not on your ideas, but on what God has said. It, it gets that, that faith to be strong. That's the end result. So James says, this is why you ought to have joy in a trial. Not because the trial is fun, no. You ought to have joy because after it's over, I'll be stronger. Because while I'm going through this, God is teaching me to endure. You know, when you have that kind of perspective, 
it changes everything. Now, usually, it's easier to have that perspective once the trial is over. You can look back and, and say, man, God did this and this. I didn't know it at the time, or I didn't really feel that at the time, but man, I'm sure glad I didn't quit. I'm sure glad that God helped me stay faithful during that time, because now my faith has been made stronger. James says, listen, when testing's coming to your life, get the right perspective. So that's the first thing, get a right perspective. Secondly, he said there's a petition that you ought to make during trials. Something you ought to ask for when things get difficult in your life. The first question is, what is your attitude? What's your perspective when things go wrong in life and trials come? The second thing is, what are you asking for when things come like this? What do you, what do you plead with God about? Now, we don't need to desire to have pain or heartache. I don't think anyone here wants that. I don't think anybody here wants uh, difficulties. I don't think anybody here says, man, I can't wait to the next big problem in my life. No, no one has that desire. But did you know that scriptures don't teach us that in those times uh, that we should run away from the problem? The scriptures don't teach us to be in denial either. You say, well, how are we in denial sometimes? Here's how. Sometimes uh, we we come to church and somebody comes up to you. It's a brother or sister in Christ. And they say, hey, Brother Jeremy, how you doing? Oh, great, great. Life can't be any better. And that whole week I've been struggling. Struggling with my marriage struggling with my kids, or maybe I'm struggling at work. And what happens is you begin to have denial of where you're at. The scriptures don't teach us to just have denial. No. That's not what James says. Look at verse number five, and look at the petition that James says, because he doesn't say, you need to ask for the trial to go away. God, just take away this trial. He doesn't doesn't say to ask for that. Here's what he says. He says in verse number five, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So the first petition, you know what God says when you're going through a trial, you know what you should be asking for? Wisdom. You say, well, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the application. Listen to this. Wisdom is the application of God's truth in the circumstances of life. It's the application of God's truth in the circumstances of life. So here comes a trial in my life. First, I got to get the right perspective. Once I get the perspective, once I see this is how God is looking at what he's allowed to come into my life. And by the way, there's nothing that God will ever uh, allow, uh, that, that ever comes into my life that God did not allow. Okay? Nothing. You saying, uh, Pastor, that if I were to lose a son, that God allowed that? Yes, he did. If I lose my job, you're saying God allowed that? Yes, he did. But there's nothing in our life that with the right perspective, God can't do use. And so now we get the right perspective, and then God says, now ask for the right thing. 
And the right thing in that trial is my wisdom. Is what do I do in this situation, God? What do I do? You ever been in in a time in your life going through a trial and you're just, you have no idea what to do? It's tough. You ever look at your options and go, wow, none of these are good options. And James is here saying that's why you need God's wisdom. That's why. Because there are no good options when going through trials. That's what makes it a trial. That's what makes it difficult. Now, can I say that God's wisdom doesn't come with just mere knowledge of what Scripture says? Sometimes people think, man, I'm going through a tough time. Maybe if I memorize a chapter of Scripture, all this will go away. Listen, I'm all for memorizing chapters of the Bible. I think you ought to. I think the more that you can hide God's Word in your heart, the better it is for you. But let me just tell you, you can memorize all of it. But if you don't apply it, you're not being wise. God's not saying, just repeat after me and everything goes away. It's not a magic chant. God says, you need to apply what I'm saying. That chapter that that you're memorizing, it's got a message. There's a point to it. What is the the truth that he's trying to teach? That's what he wants you tonight to learn. So, the question then, when you're going through a Uh, a a trial isn't, well, why is this happening to me? Even though that's a natural question, we all ask that. Well, why is this happening? God, why why is this happening? Better, it's it's better to just ask the question, hey, what truth do I apply now? What do I apply? There in your notes, I put Luke chapter 22. You know, when you read Luke chapter 22, verse 41 and 42, maybe if you read it quickly, you might be be like me the first time I read it, and I'm thinking, oh, Jesus is asking not to go to the cross. But you know that that's not what he's asking for at all? There's only one petition made there in verse number 42. You read verse number 41, it says, and he was withdrawn, this is Jesus, from them, from his disciples, about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed, and he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. That's not a petition. He's not asking for that. He's just pointing out a reality. It's a perspective. He's saying, you know what? Father, if you want, you could remove this. Here's the petition is the next phrase. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God, what I want, though, Father, is for you to work in me, to work through me. What I want is for your will to be done in what I'm about to face. He was about to go through more suffering than any human being has ever gone through. And in that moment, that trying moment, he was so stressed, the Bible says he began to sweat great drops of blood. And in that moment, he's not asking, hey, just, just, you know what, 
God, let's not have the cross anymore. Let's just not do this anymore. No, he said, Father, my one petition is help me to apply your will to what I'm about to do. Our petition during trials ought to be, number one, wisdom. Secondly, to ask in full confidence. You look at verse number six, he says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The idea here is important to remember when you're going through a trial. It's the reality that what I'm asking for will be given to me so that my faith can overcome the trial. In other words, God, I'm asking you to give me wisdom to know what to do so that I can overcome the trial, not so the trial can just disappear out of my life. It's God, help me to endure, to get stronger in my faith so that when we get to the other side of this, not only am I stronger, but I know you better. Not only am I one that is drawing closer to you, I'm one that sees just one more thing that you can do that nobody else could do. You see, God says that when we apply his wisdom to the circumstance, we ought to be fully convinced that we will find victory and joy in the trial as a result of our faith. Be totally convinced. He said, don't waver about that. You're asking for wisdom, right? What does God want me to do? What truth do I need to follow in this position? What, what is it that I need to do when I lose my job? Uh, do I need to write my boss and, and be really mad at him? Do I need to write the company? Maybe I need to sue the company. Maybe I need to, uh, to, to write something else or write someone else. Maybe I need to put this on social media. Maybe I need to start a movement. Whatever it is, you know what you need to ask is, God, what, what of all those things do I need to be doing? Give me your wisdom and with your wisdom, I want to follow that and be fully confident this is what God wants me to do. When you're in a fight, in a relationship, God's will says, hey, you ought to forgive that person. So now you're saying, well, God's wisdom, what God says in this situation is for me to be forgiving. And now I can't say, well... But how forgiving? I mean, there's levels of forgiveness, right? So then you study the scriptures and you'll find that you need to be totally forgiving. In fact, Paul says, just like God forgave you, that level of forgiveness, that's, that's the level you need. Ouch. But being fully confident of that I can't waver on that. I got to say, I'm going to forgive this person. Because that's God's wisdom that he's given to me for this situation. See, the lack of confidence in what God's wisdom teaches us to do only brings an unstable life and an unpredictable outcome. You listen, you, you, you get in a, and this is the, the picture that he puts, you, you get in a boat and there's a storm, you have no idea where you're going to go. Wherever the, the wind's going to take you, that's where you're going to go. Unless you know how to work the sails. Unless you're 
a sailor that knows how to, or a captain that knows how to drive the boat, and then maybe you can get to that destination that you need to go to. But when you don't, when you're not sure how to drive the boat, let me tell you something. That wind is driving you now. And James says that's, that's what leads to unstableness in, in our life, instability. The person who's double-minded will always be tossed to and fro by the winds of change. The reason we don't find stability in trials many times is not because the trial is too big for us, but because our faith is too small. Because there's not confidence in what God teaches in His Word. There's not confidence in the wisdom that He's given us. You see, big faith is determined by the confidence that we have in what God is doing through the trial. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please God. You read the rest of the chapter, you'll find that Moses had to have big faith. You'll find uh, that uh, David had to have big faith. You're going you're gonna to find that Abraham had to have big faith. Big faith simply means that they had to be confident and what God had promised, and what God had said to do. You say, hey, what do you do in life when God asks you for your son? Abraham says, well, I, I respond in faith. I, I pick up the knife while my son is on the altar. The Bible says there in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham was confident of this. If God is the God of life, if I take my son's life, God can bring him back. Because that's what God has said. And in this situation, and in this crisis, in this testing of my faith, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm fully confident about what God can do. That's what James is talking about. He's saying that's what real faith does. William Carey was just a, a young man that had a desire to see the gospel reach his world. Lived in a time when there was no organization that was really doing this. There was no uh, organizational structure to do that. And God began to work in his life and give him a burden to reach others. And he was part of the, the Baptist denomination. And the first time he brought this up, to the leaders of the Baptist denomination, they told him, you know what, William, you're too young. You don't even know what you're talking about. Listen, William, God doesn't need our help. God is so powerful, he can get the gospel to others. He doesn't need our, our help. And as a result of that, William Carey wrote this little booklet, and he entitled it, Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means of the Conversion of the Heathens. It's a really long title for a book, isn't it? It's crazy. But in that title and in that book, he talked about Matthew 28, and he said, well, but Jesus commanded us to go, and he, and he talked about those that went in the book of Acts, and he, and he said, listen, I, I think it's our obligation. Yeah, God may not need us, but he has called us. God wants us. It's his desire. It's what God's instructed us to do. In fact, he was so passionate about it that in May 
30th of the year, 1792, Kerry preached a sermon from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 and 3. And the great truth that he told the people there, these pastors of the Baptist, the particular Baptist, he said this. He said, Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3 teaches us this, that we ought to attempt great things for God and we ought to expect great things from God. And as a result of that sermon, a few of the men there got on fire. They, they caught the vision and, and the Missionary uh, Baptist Association there began. And, and suddenly they began to send missionaries to different parts of the world with one objective, and that was to give the gospel. In fact, William Carey himself ended up accepting the call and going to the country of India. There his wife died. There his son Peter died. There he had to give his life through many trials but he was fully convinced that that's what God had called him to do. He was fully convinced of the wisdom of God's truth, even through all those trials. I'm simply saying here this morning, Pastor James says, listen, there's two things you need to know when you're going through a trial. One, what's your perspective? What's your attitude and what's happening in your life? Number two, what are you asking for? You're saying, God, just, just make it go away. Or you're saying, God, what do I do here? God, if, if I do got to forgive, can you help me? God, if, if I do got to go, will you provide a way for me? I mean, what are you asking for in the trial that you're facing? What is it that you're asking for? You see, because real faith endures testing. I'm not sure what you might be facing today. I don't know if it's a trial in your marriage or a trial in your parenting, a trial in your job or a trial in relationships in your life. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is that you're facing and wherever you're facing this trial, remember, keep a right perspective. It's going to make you stronger. Secondly, ask for the right thing. God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to tell you, this is, this is what you do in this situation. And ask God, help me to do that with all the confidence in the world. Help me, Father, just to do that. I want to encourage you this morning. Let's make this week a week where our faith reflects our genuine Christianity. Because testings always prove our real faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Oh, Father, how, how important it is that we understand that testing isn't something that comes as a result of you being mad at us or angry at us, but one that's going to make us to be stronger, to truly endure. One that brings your wisdom into our life one that makes our faith to be solid in you. Father, I don't know what trials your people are facing. But I do know this, Father, you have taught us in your word what to do. And I pray that this morning we wouldn't be Christians by name only, but that we would be genuine, be authentic, be real 
in our faith and in our walk with you. Father, I pray that if there's anything that we learn through what is happening in our life, it is that you are the God that answers prayer, that you're the God that provides, that you're the God that guides, God that loves us. And Father, make our walk be something real. I don't know this morning, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I don't know what you're facing this morning, but perhaps you're going through a trial right now. There's something you're facing in your life and you're you're saying, you know what? I, I really haven't been asking the right questions. My attitude and my perspective hasn't been what it needs to be, but I realized this morning what my perspective ought to be and what I ought to be asking for in this time. And pray for me, Pastor, that I would apply these truths in my life now as I face this trial. Would you pray for me? If that's a decision you have, just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you this morning. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Father, this morning, you saw our hands, but you also saw our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to apply your word during this time. I pray for each hand that was raised. You know the difficulty and the trial that they're facing. Oh, how difficult it is. Pray that you would help them to count it joy. Not because of what they're facing, but because of what you can do in the middle of what they're facing. I pray that you'd work in their life, work in our hearts. Father, help us to have a faith that is real in this time. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.